Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting here on the radio waves across North America and around the world. We're here on the Big Talker 1067 FM and Saga 960 AM in the Peel region, Ontario, Canada. We're also over there on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, where you can find all of our past shows and our archives and notes and the interviews that we've done. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, phoning it in today from Vienna, Austria, and I'm joined, as always, by David Clement, who is in Toronto. And uh, David is uh, sitting on his couch. He's got a new setup, and uh, I think he's he's ready to dissect the news, aren't you, David? Yeah, yeah, I am, and there's... uh... I mean, the ongoing concerns of the Delta variant and calls for vaccine passports here and limitations on travel and all of that stuff that is very reminiscent of pretty much what all of 2020 was. Um, and then there's some big news out of New York. So lots to uh, lots to talk about. I'm sure there's other things you got on your mind, too, but lots uh, lots to chat about for this week's show. So before we do... New York, and I do want to get to that. David, I think it's time for a celebration. Oh, I need one. Yeah, I think you do. And um, I'm pointing this to a lot of Americans specifically, but I think this would also apply to you. Um, It's time. And you know what it's time for, David? I do not. It's time to... Let's go to Canada. Let's leave today. So the news just dropped, or I guess um, it was earlier this week. Uh, There's an article here in the Washington Post. So now it seems we've reached this threshold that Canada has reopened its border for the vaccinated U.S. visitors. And that means that if you are a fully vaccinated person, you as an American can drive across the border into Canada uh, you still need to do a test, I believe, within three days. Um, they all seem pretty pricey. It seems like it's about 140 bucks for a test or so, uh, but it does mean that people who have family, uh, like people people who are in my family who haven't seen each other in a long time, or others who are going for business or work or otherwise, are finally able to go into Canada and uh, have a good time there with all of their friends. Give me a break. They can't have news. Nothing happens in Canada. <laughs> so, David, what do you what do you uh, what do you gather about this? And as far as I understand, uh, it's not fully open for Canadians coming the other side. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, it's not fully open yet. I cannot, to my understanding, I'm not allowed to drive over the border uh, to Buffalo yet. That's I think about a month away. Yeah, so which September. Is kind, of, okay. kind of strange. Yeah, kind of strange. Um, but the whole, the, I think this is all it's long a strange overdue. world out there. Yeah, as as our good friend Bernie Sanders would say, it is a strange world. Um, long overdue. I mean, if you're fully vaccinated, really, these limitations should have gone away quite a while ago, but they did not. Um, but luckily for Americans who want to enjoy all that has all that Canada has to offer, while there is still some some summer left, um, they can do so, and then vice versa for Canadians. Um, although the strange thing is for Canadians wanting to go to the U.S., you can still fly to the U.S. Um, so, Well, uh, COVID does possible. not exist in airplanes. It only exists in uh, automobiles, apparently. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's weird because if anything, the, you would think that the order would be inverse, where 
the border would be open to people traveling by car rather than people traveling by air in a box through the sky. Um, but so so it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's good. It, this is incredibly important for actually not far from where we broadcast uh, in Canada because just about 45, 50 minutes down the road is the Niagara region, uh, obviously home to Niagara Falls. Um, and everything that Niagara Falls has to off- offer in the wine region there, which is very, very popular, um, not just for Canadians, but also for a lot of Americans. And so it'll be nice to see them uh, get their usual uptick in U.S. business because I know that they rely on it quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, long overdue, but uh, at least it's happened now. And now the U.S. just has to get its act in order and return the favor so we can get back to enjoying get back to vegas and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. actually i know my i know my uncle is waiting on the news so he can get back to the gambling table um that's important yeah. for him um just the a one quote table with his name on it yeah <laughs> i think he does the slots um oh, okay one quote from the article this is from the washington post and i thought this sums up basically everything and all the policy is kind of all over the place none of it makes sense airplanes versus cars you can fly in from Mexico. You know, a lot of people are doing that to go to the U.S. And here's a quote. I just love it. Uh, this is from uh, Lisa Doherty, uh, who's being interviewed. She says, quote, At this point, we'll just do whatever we have to do, Lisa Doherty said, before heading in for a nasal swab. <laughs> hey, we'll just do what we got to do. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about this. I think this is very good news. It does mean that and I don't know if the flights from Europe are fully restored, but I would like to uh, perhaps get some travel planned uh, here in the next couple of months, David. Uh, maybe we can do the show live in the Saga studio, uh, that which would be, be kind of fun. Cool, eh? Yeah, that'd be kind of no, fun. It would be, be nice if we went on a little bit of a tour post-COVID, whenever that is. Yeah, it actually, did, uh... a tour would be nice. I think there'd be plenty to see, plenty of uh, breweries to hit up. And, um, yeah vineyards and all the like. Um, Related to this, David, uh, I do have a broadcast announcement for our program, Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, Our program will now be available also on the Liberty Radio Network. That is lrn.fm. That's a creation of the guys over there at Free Talk Live, uh, another syndicated radio show um, with many more stations than us, but they they have a great network. Uh, We are in their podcast feed, and that actually plays all day long. So uh, you can listen to us uh, randomly throughout the day over on LRN.FM. That is great and uh, always, always wonderful to be able to spread the message of the show, talk about consumer choice, talk about lifestyle freedom, innovative technology, to talk about smart consumer policies, David. Uh, that's yep. what we're here for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, good news, and hopefully, hopefully soon we have uh, some other announcements in regards to possible uh, syndication. Um, I mean, it's pretty incredible to think that we started this in, in January. Was it, I guess, was, was it January 2020 or is it December? Yeah, January 11th, 2020. Yeah, okay, cool. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. We've had some great guests along the road and uh, it's only going to get bigger and better. So I hope, hope you guys have fastened your seatbelts. Yeah, talking about fastening seatbelts or uh, something that's come a long way. As you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the New York Governor Cuomo uh, has resigned. I believe this took place on Tuesday. 
and I uh, wanted to play a little bit of a, a snippet of uh, what he said. I believe his lawyer yes, please. spoke and, and addressed some of the claims. I didn't listen to that part. I only listened to Cuomo because I go to the original source. Um, there are some good nuggets that I'll probably use for future clips, David. So uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and roll that, uh, can we here, producer? The most serious allegations made against me had no credible factual basis in the report. And there is a difference between alleged improper conduct and concluding sexual harassment. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not to say that there are not 11 women who I truly offended. There are. And for that, I deeply, deeply apologize. I thought a hug and putting my arm around a staff person while taking a picture was friendly but she found it to be too forward. I kissed a woman on the cheek at a wedding and I thought I was being nice, but she felt that it was too aggressive. I have slipped and called people honey, sweetheart, and darling. I meant it to be endearing, but women found it dated and offensive. I said on national TV, to a doctor wearing PPE and giving me a COVID nasal swab, you make that gown look good. I was joking. <laughs> the nasal swab comes back. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's it's a very strange thing, and I think um, I don't mean to play partisan politics here, but we can't assume if this is a man from the other party over there that does not start with a D and did this kind of mansplaining routine... Forgive my use of oh, the term. Uh, I think he'd be raked for it. Yeah, he'd be raked over the coals. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, there had to be some accountability there, um, and it's it is it's so weird when he's like, oh, okay, there's going to be a report, and I fully support support them creating the report, and then the report comes back, and it's like, oh yeah, he did do the more egregious things beyond what he, like, not... I mean, the examples that he just mentioned, when he frames it that way, he just sounds like he's old and dated. But that's, I mean, it's a nice diversion. It's a, it's a very, actually, it's a very effective distraction, to be honest, from... Oh, no, the, oh, the, oh the, all the linguistic wordplay? Like, I can't play oh, the whole yeah. thing, but... I, I, is he a lawyer by background? Is that his... I actually don't know. I don't I know assume. if he was a lawyer by background, but yeah, you're you're right. It is a very um, uh, purposeful use of certain words. So the uh, one thing. Um, so this is actually called neurolinguistic programming. It's this thing that you do with language where you can deny certain things, but only in a certain context. So we say, I absolutely deny the things that are written in the report. You know, not like. I deny the things outright. It's like I deny the things that were written in the report. It's like this yes. type of wordplay. I mean, lawyers are especially good at this, uh, but he played those gymnastics fairly well up there. Yeah, oh, he sure did. He sure did. And, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what he attempts to do next. I, to be honest, I really hope that we don't have a, a Jeffrey Tubin scenario where he kind of sneaks away and then comes back full bore as if nothing ever happened. Uh, full full bear, full bore, full beard, 
Yeah. 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 I, you never know. Um, you know, Elliot Spitzer did come back on uh, when he resigned from the governorship. Uh, he was, I think, a CNN contributor. Jeez, I, maybe he'll just come on as a CNN contributor. I think that's everyone's fate. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they kind of have a track record of hiring these people, which is not a great look. Um, yeah. One thing yeah, I'd I love mean, to cover, David, by the way, we we never really have time, but uh, Glenn Greenwald does a lot of detailing of the various CNN contributors and just yes. how many of them are spooks and like FBI and CIA and just always giving out all types of strange, conflicting information. Uh, there's definitely something to be studied there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I have I have followed a lot of Glenn's work. He seems to just be in the firestorm of Twitter all day. Actually, I don't, on Cuomo resigning, the, the funniest thing I saw on Twitter was the Associated Press tweeted that Governor Cuomo had resigned, and then somebody responded being like, what's your source? And then someone had to be like, um, it's the Associated Press. They are the source, you goof. Like, <laughs> he's like, well, where goof. did you see it? And then he responded again. He's like, well, where did you see it? He's like, it was on TV. He's like, well, it wasn't on my TV. I've seen these before. It's like, what's your source for this material? And the guy's like, me? Because I said it, and it's about me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like the one where... Uh, um, I forget what the name of the sport is, but it's the sh the pistol shooting in the Olympics. And I think the woman who won gold, she, her posture is like arm forward with the other hand in her pocket. Uh, and someone like tweeted being like, that's not great firearm safety. Like everyone knows the recoil is going to like fire the gun back at her. And it's like, she won gold in this elite sport. I think she knows what she's doing. <laughs> Success planning. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, weird. there's there's a lot of that going up uh, up and down. Uh, one thing that also came in the news that we'll cover in the next segment is the infrastructure bill in the U.S. got yes. us talking about cryptocurrencies and taxation of such technologies. We're going to talk about that with Tim Frost, the CEO of Yield, a DeFi platform. Uh, stay tuned here to Consumer Choice Radio. We'll be right back with that interview. Stay tuned. Tim Frost coming up next. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM and Saga 960 AM. For our next interview, we wanted to get a little bit of an insight as to what this entire DeFi banking crypto space is all about. And with us to discuss it, we have Mr. Tim Frost. He is CEO of the Yield app. Tim, thanks so much for coming on the program. Oh, thanks guys for having me today. Excited to be here. So we want we don't want to overcomplicate things. It's uh, the crypto space is is a thing that is uh, people have been working on this for years. So there are many layers of complexity. Um, if you could break it down, what is DeFi banking, and uh, what do products and services like the Yield app provide to consumers and customers who sign up for these services? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm glad to kind of uh, describe uh, what we are up to at, at Yield app. So. You know, um, I guess a little over a year ago, I, I got heavily involved in uh, the DeFi space as just kind of interest. I was um, kind of observing um, more of a kind of a observer of all kind of all new technology, uh, you know, blockchain enthusiast overall. And um, we'd really seen an emergence of, you know, decentralized finance, also known as uh, DeFi. 
And it, what it really brought about was um, so much more happening uh, that's more traditional financial instruments now happening and, and governed through smart contracts on the blockchain. So uh, borrowing and lending and with kind of the emergence of something called uh, AMMs or, or decentralized exchanges, you know, what this has allowed is, is people can now without, you know, any centralized middleman kind of enter this new, uh, I guess, this open financial network that they could be able to, you know, trade uh, digital assets, you know, oftentimes it's uh, Bitcoin, Ether, uh, stable coins, typically represented by a U.S. dollar and, and other assets and be a, can be able to uh, lend against their crypto um, as well. And it's all kind of governed by a smart contract. So um, really some exciting, um, I guess, uh, innovation coming out. And that's kind of really been powered through uh, the Ethereum smart contract uh, network. And so with the emergence of all this, while essentially what's kind of opened up is, is high yielding opportunities. Uh, but what we kind of saw at the Yield app is is why we were you know quite excited for, for everything that was coming. And there's obviously these high yielding uh, opportunities that were quite secure, uh, very complex to, to try to uh, participate as an individual. So uh, we at Yield app, uh, we have a, a licensed fintech company where essentially people can deposit their crypto and their, their fiat with uh, Yield app. And, uh, you know, we can essentially um, invest on your behalf as like a, a managed portfolio. So since that's what we're doing today, uh, we founded the company one year ago, uh, launched in, in February. And, and today we have over uh, 50,000 users and uh, $270 million in, in assets uh, that have been uh, invested with us. Interesting. Yeah, there's there's so much to learn so, on this. Uh, in, you, you mentioned that you witnessed um, an increase in um, kind of consumer interest in DeFi. And I'm curious as to what your take is, obviously beyond kind of high yield opportunities, but what else do you think has been driving that interest? Yeah, I, I think just the, the ability to control your, your, own, your own money. And so, you know, it's, I think for probably the, the first time in, in, you know, history, you can be able to essentially control your own money and, you know, actually, you know, put it, put it to work. So, you know, I think the one thing that's really helped it is, um, is the uh, all the the banks right? I mean, there's there's no reason to to keep you know significant capital in a bank account any longer with a zero or, or perhaps even a negative interest rates at times. So um, the the only way you're going to actually be able to beat inflation is to to make your money uh, work for it, you know itself. And so you know by just simply you know blocking your capital in smart contracts and, and different protocols that. You know, many and myself would consider it, you know, very secure and safe that, you know, you could be able to earn passive yields that are generated on a, on a constant basis. And um, I actually went ahead and signed up for the app myself and was able to, to put it together. And uh, there are a number of them that I'm signed up to. I'm, I'm fairly uh, platform neutral. And uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, the different licenses uh, that you mentioned. And, um, you know, what was that process like getting some of the licensing for this? I do see. Uh, we have uh, our favorite country of Estonia uh, on your site. Uh, so what are the kind of uh, processes like for registering a fintech company in the 21st century? And with that in mind, are there ways that you think that we could improve this uh, so we could have more services like yours throughout the world? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it is no kind of easy feat. Um, you know, part of our, our founding team 
uh, general partner, uh, Jason Corbett, you know, a very experienced uh, lawyer in the, in the fintech space, as well as my, my partner, uh, Justin Wright, you know, he's ran several uh, regulated funds and uh, fintech companies. So uh, I think that the first process is obviously just understand your, your business, uh, your unique, you know, your unique challenges that you have a, as a business. And, um, you know, a lot of it is about, you know, analyzing the, the competition as well. So, you know, there is no perfect, um, I guess, fit for how you're going to uh, essentially, you know, regulate your, your company because, you know, you know, as lawmakers continue to, you know, work with us as, as kind of fintech companies and, and they want to embrace emerging technology, you know, it's very challenging to find something that, that fits right in the box because, well, in, in frank reality, it just doesn't quite exist. So you you have to be using multiple jurisdictions and, and multiple licenses and, and, you know, be able to essentially, um, you know, create an environment and work hand in hand with the with the local regulators that you know, will allow you to to operate and, and will embrace this emerging technology. And I mean, Yael and I talk about this all the time with different industries that are kind of ripe for disruption and a disruptor comes along um, and, and inserts itself. I mean, I think back to like the inception of Uber um, challenging the taxi market or Airbnb challenging the hotel market. Um, often it's th those guys were met with great pushback, um, in our view, a lot of the time out of ignorance. Um, but I'm curious to see if, if companies uh, like Yield and, and the others who operate in the space have kind of felt that similar pushback or has have, have legislators maybe come a long way um, in terms of embracing some of that disruption and competition. Yeah, I think you're, you're finding um, a... a a mix, kind of a mixed bag there. And so, you know, uh, innovation of always, right? It, it's going to, I guess, um, you know, bring bring fear in, in, into different uh, parties. So, you know, in the, in the case of Uber, I, I think the, the the ones that were really pushing back were, were probably the, the, you know, the local establishments, right? Because it was a threat to, to the way that they're actually doing their, their business. Um, and so, you will see pushback um, in this space. Uh, we we have, and so like right now, and I, I think, you know, there are battles taking place all, all over the world, and you know, and uh, you know, publicly and in public forums, as as well as obviously privately, uh, you know, behind the scenes. So, I myself for one, I you know would actually say that I, I feel that the you know regulators across the world have. Um, embraced, uh, you know, blockchain technology and, and digital currencies uh, more than I actually anticipated that they they probably would have a, a handful of years ago. So, I you know personally think that they you know you know they are trying to in, embrace this. Um, naturally, they, you know, everyone has their their own agenda, and and some people are uh, frightened for for what is happening for you know when they have their 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 kind of reasoning. But I, I would say. If you know, if, if you would have probably looked back in, in like you know 2013 when probably Bitcoin really first you know came onto the scene and, and went up to a thousand dollars, I don't think like anyone probably would have envisioned what you know where we're at today. Um, you know, when I when I was you know looking at Bitcoin in, in 2013, I I did not even think it would be legalized by now. I thought they would have just uh, abolished it completely. So. Again, it's, you know, it's not, you know, it's now legal tender in, in different, uh, you know, 
you know, in uh, different nations. So we, we, we have come a long ways. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we should be quite uh, optimistic about the future and, and, you know, why, how they are, you know, adopting this uh, today. Uh, we're speaking with Tim Frost. He's the CEO of Yield.app, a great uh, new DeFi platform. Um, Tim, a question I wanted to ask is, you know, let's say you're an ordinary person listening to this. You haven't gotten too much into this. What are some of the, the good use cases for DeFi platforms uh, such as yours? Some things like the loans that you mentioned. Um, there are often these reward programs that come with putting down various coins and staking them. Uh, what are some good use cases for a platform like yours uh, that, that people would be very much attuned to? Well, our, our main use case with Yield App is, is just be able to earn, earn on your capital. So, you know, it's, it's earning passive yield. Um, so you can do that through, you know, U.S. dollar denominated stable coins, your Bitcoin, your, your Ether. Uh, you know, the, the other innovations you've really seen in, in the crypto world is, is those with crypto assets that, you know, want to be able to essentially uh, lend against their, their crypto assets. So it's, it's kind of over collateralized lending. Uh, we've only seen that in a, probably a few different markets throughout the world, probably in like, you know, those with with gold and that would be interested in actually borrowing, borrowing capital against their gold or, you know, potentially against, uh, you know, your, your property. So um, it's, it's really helped, I guess, uh, this industry really grow uh, quite quickly in, in adoption of, you know, those with, um, well, digital assets are, are able to essentially utilize those to, to just continue to um, either operate their, their businesses, obviously, you know, pay their, their daily kind of personal expenses. And then weighing in on um, kind of the, the larger um, cryptocurrency debate, uh, I mean, we've hosted folks on our show who kind of fall under on, on both sides of that, that argument. Um, but it is kind of, it does kind of feel like with each passing day, the, the cryptocurrency naysayers seem to be a little less uh, or a little more redundant um, and kind of uh, <laughs> expired, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, I, I'm interested to see, do you feel like the, the the conversation about the legitimacy of cryptocurrencies has kind of concluded and that we've, we've moved in the direction of just basically understanding that this is something that people will use for various purposes and it's here to stay? Um, or do you think some of that debate still needs to be flushed out? Yeah, I think this 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 uh, debate is probably going to be, you know, ongoing for I would say probably many years. Um, so, can almost probably a, a generational probably uh, debate. I, I think that's going to continue. You know, what we're going to continue to be involved with. So, um, not everyone will ultimately kind of accept uh, Bitcoin and Ether and other digital assets as. Kind of a store of value that they they do have value, and that that's actually I think uh, you know quite quite healthy as well. Um, you know there are inherent issues with you know these digital assets, and um, you know as you know there's so much innovation happening though. I, I think that you know the likelihood of, of you know ultimately creating uh, digital assets that are you know that are fair and have fair distribution, and you know ultimately will will help the world and, uh, in, in you know numerous oh, ways I, I think it's, ahead, David. it's likely you know to just continue to you know gain gain adoption and and how i was just going to one quick follow up here how much of the the adoption rests on kind of the democratization 
aspect of it because I know some of the criticisms of the traditional investment structures that exist, and I mean, this is fair whether you're in Europe, Canada, or the U.S., um, is that often they're, they, they can be intimidating to those who haven't engaged with it before, and it can be difficult, especially for low, lower-income people, to really engage in, um, in investing, and it's part of the reason why we've seen things like Robinhood and um, other services like that kind of build up. Um, but I'm curious, is there is there like a democratization aspect here that makes this maybe a little more attractive moving forward into the future? I believe so. I mean, it, you know, there's, I think there's a, you know, interesting thing with, with you know, this digital asset kind of revolution that we're, we're seeing. There's, you know, we're, we're seeing governance uh, protocols, you know, that have really, you know, emerged with, with so many different assets, you know, assets in the space. That have really kind of sparked people's interest of you know how you know how can you create uh, decentralized assets that are you know completely uh, governed by the, the actual the, the holders themselves and so you know naturally I think that we are in a kind of evolutionary process of, of finding you know like a you know optimal ways of actually being able to uh, participate in governance that that is fair and represents the the people and isn't. You know, isn't completely going to be, um, you know, monopolized by by the essentially the the elite in the society. So, and I, I think that's a great a great thing about this open network is you you have, you know, participation from from anywhere at any time. Wonderful. We've been speaking with Tim Frost. He's the CEO of Yield App. It is Yield.app. Uh, no referral code just yet, but. Uh, it was great talking, Tim. Thanks so much. We'll link to everything in our show notes and uh, look forward to all the great projects that you'll be putting together. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. It's a pleasure. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America on Saga 960 AM and The Big Talker 106.7 FM, also available on the Liberty Radio Network. You just heard our interview uh, before the break with Tim Frost. He's the CEO of Yield, Yield Yield.app, a DeFi platform. For those of you who are interested in learning more about cryptocurrencies, about trading, about staking, and about interest accounts, uh, that is an interesting place to go to. Uh, There are many other out there that we'll recommend at some point, uh, but great for for Tim to come and explain that a little bit. Uh, David, I want to go ahead and hit you with another update because I always do these things. And it seems as if we got a brand new hard seltzer on the market. Oh, let's hear it. Now let's read from the article directly from the Wall Street Journal, because this is making every single consumer bone in my body tickle. Mountain Dew is getting a boozy kick. Oh, no. PepsiCo and Boston Beer Company said they plan to partner on an alcoholic version of the Mountain Dew soft drink with the brand Hard Mountain Dew. The, common, the coming product is a nod to what the companies see as an evolving taste of drinkers, executives said on Tuesday. Oh, yeah. That sounds, that sounds awesome. I, How is it I, not like Four loco though? <laughs> well, I, I guess it depends. If, I don't know what the rules are in regards to caffeine, because I know that a lot of those... Uh, I know that the caffeine levels are different. In It, uh, it does say in the article, just uh, for clarification, that the beverage will not contain... Uh, caffeine nor sugar, and it will have an alcohol percentage of five percent. 
Oh, cool. So it'll be a true hard seltzer, which is actually really awesome because then it's obviously lower calorie um, and less sugar for those who are uh, watching their waistlines. So very yeah. that's I mean, I, I love this stuff because it's just like it's just new fun product development. And I love when like there's nothing worse than existing markets getting stale. Um, it's like, oh, okay, those are decent, but, and, and I don't know, I kind of find myself almost like wanting something new to spice it up. Um, so that's pretty cool. Unfortunately, I doubt that's going to be available in, in Canada anytime soon, Uh, but you never know. I mean, there's a big footprint for, for PepsiCo up North. I don't know about, um, the Boston beer brewing. I mean, I guess like Samuel Adams and stuff, you have that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just not. I mean, they forego a lot of the Canadian markets just because they're too difficult to deal with. Like, dealing with the LCBO is brutal. And the LCBO is, they, for American listeners, the LCBO is the government-controlled wholesaler of alcohol, and they own the stores. Um, they they get it notoriously wrong every time a new product comes to market. They never believe it's going to sell, and so they undersupply it. Um, so Pink Whitney, which is now the world's most popular uh, flavored vodka. Um, they didn't believe the guys at Barstool Sports that they were going to have, they were going to be able to sell this product en masse. And so for like the first four months, they didn't have enough. Uh, and the same thing actually happened for anyone who is a Bachelor Nation fan. Kristen, uh, sorry, Caitlin Bristow's wine, Spade and Sparrows, had the same problem where they went to come to Ontario and Whoever the decision maker at the LCBO essentially didn't believe that she was going to have the kind of brand power to sell uh, as many units as she wanted, and then they sold off shelves in a day. Now you can't get it anymore. I I don't mean uh, to break a rule here on our show, but uh, did you catch up on the uh, the finale there of the Bachelorette? So I do have something to admit. This is actually the first season in all of the seasons of the Bachelor or Bachelorette franchise that I have not watched. Wow. All right. Well, I wanted to give the episode. I wanted to give a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Oh, <laughs> what yeah. I thought was so funny is you have this huge American show, big thing, and the guy who won yeah, is like Blake. a falconer from Hamilton, Ontario. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it's funny. He was on a previous season too. Um so he he's not new to the Bachelor franchise. He was on uh on what was originally Claire's season, which then became Tasha's season. Um, so it's funny to see him last. Um, I may end up watching this down the road, but yeah, I just, I couldn't bring myself to watch it. I don't know. I, we may be boring some people who aren't bachelor fans, but I know I wasn't the other, the only one who kind of felt like it, it, it lost some of its punch, but you'll be, you'll be sure to see me watching bachelor in paradise. Cause that show is an absolute gem. Not not to play on looks, but you know if this is the guy that's chosen, David, I think we'd have a very good chance on this program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, burly bearded dude, I like it. Yeah, that's, so a, that's a good trend. Just to quote uh, to quote Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance here. Yes, indeed, and uh, yeah, we can do some more TV uh, a bit later. But I know we've got some other uh, topics to hit up. Uh, there's been a couple of. Uh, actions, executive actions related to electric vehicles uh, that's happened in the U.S. David, I know you talked mm-hmm. about that on the Big Talker with Joe last week and uh, caught another article about how BMW 
um, basically hasn't really put together a plan for phasing out gas-powered vehicles, which seems to be not the trend necessarily, but sure, mm-hmm. <laughs> surely the regulatory push is to make sure all cars go electric. It depends where you are, but either by 2030 or 2050. Uh, BMW, it seems, has fallen behind. They don't really have all th- these options. And you really got to wonder, you know, is the system and the regulations, are those going to change before we can get to this so-called electric revolution? Uh, so far, it doesn't really look like much of that is going to change. No, it feels like they're putting the cart before the horse here. Because you really have to make sure that your supply chains are secure in terms of like the minerals that go into making these batteries like lithium and cobalt. Um, if you don't have that ironed out, you're essentially forcing that upon the market, kind of artificially, obviously. Um, and you could be creating a scenario where the mandate plus supply chain issues really inflate prices and so imagine a scenario where 50 percent of the cars sold in nine years have to be electric and the average price of those electric vehicles is fifty thousand dollars i mean that's a lot of money for a car and that is really unaffordable for your ordinary canadian or american and so um i think it would just be best to let the electric vehicle market grow and develop um, as there as as it would meet consumer demand rather than try and artificially create um, that supply with a mandate so it it feels like it's destined to fail but we'll see what happens here with how things get sorted out and I guess related to this we also got the news this week uh, this is the large annual report uh, that everybody just really looks forward to thumbing through uh, that is the report from the intergovernmental panel on climate change It indicates uh, the various consequences of global warming, discussing heavy rains fueled by warmer air, uh, all types of flooding disasters, uh, all kinds of things that they say will only get worse if we do not bring carbon, um, I guess, emissions down to a particular level. Now, I haven't read through the whole thing yet. I've seen some reporting. I've seen a lot of um, doomsday scenario Instagram stories from many of my um, climate curious friends, uh, it's it's kind of strange that in this um, this whole year year and a half where we have these lockdowns and we've had to shut down economies and we've had to basically bring emissions down to you know next to nothing, <laughs> it hasn't been fun and it has not been no. a good time. <laughs> no, it has not been a good time. I, I just want to. So, what was the number one? I mean, you may not. It depends how many of the headlines you saw, but. The number one headline that I saw, um, and I'm bringing this up because it was wrong, is if we don't curb emissions by by a certain percentage, by I think the date was by 2030, temperatures will go up 1.5 degrees. That was how it was reported. That's not what the report said. The report said that temperatures will be 1.5 degrees higher than they were in like 1900 or 1920 or whatever their benchmark was. It was like 100 years ago. But it was framed for for um, viewers or listeners uh, or readers as if temperatures were going to go up 1.5 degrees in nine years. It's like, no, 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 that's not, that is not what the report said. And they, that just fuels all sorts of 
I mean, if, if that's what you think is going to happen, that's going to drive some very terrible policy decisions because you're thinking like <clears throat> 1.5 degrees in in nine years, that's a that's a troubling trajectory. Um, that's that's some pretty serious um, increases in temperature, but that's not what the report said. Yeah, I, I think that's just, in that case the people who have been opining on this have been doing exactly what the report purports to do every time it's released is to get people concerned, thinking about it, and when you really you know read through it, it's it's similar to. I hate to bring up this analogy. It's similar to uh, very competent uh, economic socialists in that they're able yes. to diagnose problems very well, but the solutions that they provide will often make them worse and are oh, garbage yeah. and will make people poor and, you know, have no future. And the the report, you know, just skimming through it now, they show that the biggest effects uh, that people will have are hot extremes uh, well, heavy precipitation and agricultural drought. That seems to be the, the biggest things that they point to that will have immediate impact. And then we're back to the models, uh, a lot of climate models about how exactly the future warming will be, what mm -hmm. the emissions will be as well. I mean, I don't know how many... Let's, uh, let's actually do a search here. How many times does the word innovation show up? Oh, zero. Zero. <laughs> um, <laughs> how many times does consumer... Zero. Okay. Um, let's what look about up... What mit mitigation or adaptation? Mitigation? Oh, we have one. We have... Uh, emissions vary between scenarios depending on socioeconomic assumptions, level of climate change mitigation, and for aerosols and non-methane, ozone precursors, air pollution controls. So mitigation does appear twice... Okay, okay. I mean, the reason I bring that up is one of the journalists with the National Post was like, hey, if, if, the, uh, if the doomsday scenarios are, uh, are accurate, well, we better start foc focusing on mitigation and ad adaptation because you're delusional if you think we're going to be able to scale back um, emissions by what the Greta Thunbergs of the world want. It's just not going to happen. Um, certainly the not, tune, yeah, yep. not certainly not in the in the developing world where people are um, using some of these energy sources to kind of lift themselves out of poverty. Um, I will point so, to uh, an article by one of our former guests, a friend of the show, Beyond Lumborg. He's got a uh, an yep. article out in the New York Post. Don't buy the latest climate change alarmism. Um, so he's saying that they're spinning apocalyptic narratives and uh, he's got a couple examples to point to so uh we'll probably have a better report for next week david uh while we kind of read this and and uh, a lot of the critiques uh but definitely an article worth looking at and yeah this is um this is going to drive a lot of policy and uh, as our colleague and uh, sometimes guest bill vietz often says if you want to have more uh paris climate accords uh, you're going to get more yellow vests you're going to get more protests. Yeah. You're going to get more people yep. upset by the price of fuel or the price of food and things that, you know, certainly are not found in this report. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it. You really should have to do like a cost-benefit analysis and be like, okay, how much money can we, can we spend to deal with this? And what, is, what, is the, what are the outcomes are going to be? And what are the economic costs of going, kind of putting your, putting your head down and going right into it in terms of, 
severe limitations and, and then ask yourself, what's the better route? Um, I think I know where the, co- where, where the cost-benefit analysis would tilt, but um, especially because I've read some of Bjorn Lomborg's work, and that's really the way in which he approaches this issue, is like, okay, well, how else could we spend that money without sacrificing all of the economic gains we've made and the increase in quality of life and lifting people out of poverty and all of the things that we should celebrate. Um, so, unfortunately, they don't do that. Uh, they really should. I think that would cast it in a more... And that's a, that's a good light. call to uh, try to get Bjorn uh, back on the radio show. He provides very good analysis, and yeah. I know he'll be making the media circuit because uh, he's a guy, <laughs> guy to go to uh, when these type of reports come out. Uh, So, yeah, guys, hope you enjoyed today's program. Uh, David, a pleasure to be on the line with you. Great to have Tim Frost of Yield.app. And uh, I think it's going to be a nice show we're cooking up for next week. Yeah, yeah, another good show. I'm uh, off to to the cottage uh, for a couple days to decompress and relax. I hope uh, all our listeners are able to do something similar, and we will catch you next week. And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check out Consumer Choice Radio for much more. Consumer Choice Radio, hosted by Yael Ososki and myself, David Clement, is a syndicated weekly conversation featuring the latest news, interviews, and expert analysis that covers consumer topics from around the world, focusing on innovation, tech, regulatory policy, and science. Tune in every week to learn why consumer choice matters. You can find all of our previous episodes, interviews, and show notes over on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, as well as the podcast version of this show. And as always, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you do listen to your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at ConsumerCRadio, myself at Y-A-E-L-O-S-S, and David at Clement Liberty. And find our interviews on YouTube and Instagram just looking up Consumer Choice Radio. If there is a consumer issue affecting you that you think that we should cover, email us directly at hello at consumerchoiceradio.com. Thank you again for listening.
heart. You were destroyed through COVID-19. No more! No more! No more! Hallelujah.